Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Today's a very special day for me. One, because it's the first time I'm back in church for a month. We had a month off and uh, had an incredible holiday. And I want to thank you for releasing us to be able to do that. Uh, But to be able to come back off a month's holiday and to come into a service like this, Family Day, and to be able to celebrate it with my whole family, including the prodigal son from New Zealand, uh, which is really cool. So um, this is my uh, middle son, Mitch, who... um, It is great to have you with us, Mitch. And he's joined me up here today just to help me talk about uh, Father's Day. And we've got a very special message for you called Like Father, Like Son. Like Father, Like Son. But uh, for me, Mitch is a very special kid. Uh, His name, Mitchell, means like God. He's my one and only son, which makes him like Jesus. And uh, if anyone, if, if, you know, if you know Mitch, if you know Mitch, he's kind of like here, there and everywhere, which makes him like the Holy Spirit. He's just, he's just in a bit. So I, I love you, Mitch, and it's great to have you with us. But uh, why don't you do your own intro- introduction of who you are and what you've been up to for the last couple of years? Sounds good. Yeah, I'll um, compare myself to God a little bit less than that in my introduction. Um, uh, yeah, my name's Mitch. Good to see everybody here. I'm uh, 22 years old. And I am currently in New Zealand uh, on a three-month trip over there. Um, Sorry, that was an inside joke. I I moved there in 2020 uh, for what I thought was going to be a three-month trip. And uh, one thing led to another. And it's now been two and a half years, Um, which is cool. I'm loving it. I'm not stuck there, you know. Uh, But I love being able to come back here whenever I can, see everybody, see the family, see all you guys. Um, but yeah, if you have new to Life Adelaide in the last little bit and don't recognise my face, it's an honour to see you and meet you. And um, I'm really excited to do this today. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, we're going to get straight into it. I'm going to start with a, a scripture, and it's one of the uh, go-to passages uh, of mine for this particular subject, and it's found in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, and it says this. This is, this is Paul the Apostle writing these words. He says, I'm writing this to you, not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. He says, even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees what I teach everywhere in every church. Very quickly, I want to break that down. Then I'm going to ask uh, for Mitch's input. But Paul says a few things here. And he says, you have a lot of guardians. And now this was written some 2,000 years ago, but uh, I want to help you see just how relevant it is today. A guardian for me would represent all the voices that are in our world. A voice could be the conference. It could be the podcast. It could be the conversation you have with your mates down at the pub. It could be the conversations you have with your friends at the clubs, be it the tennis club, the soccer club, the netball club. Everywhere you go, there are voices and with those voices comes opinions. And uh, I want to say that uh, those voices and opinions aren't always bad. In actual fact, often they are good and they can help. Uh, But I want to say this categorically. They cannot and will not ever take the place of fathers. These voices may inspire you, 
but they don't necessarily know you and know who you are. They can't speak personally into your life. And I believe that's why Paul went on to say, that's why I became something more than just a voice. I became your father. In other words, Paul, when he wrote the Scriptures, he saw his mission through relationship, not structure. And that's why he said, I'm sending Timothy, who was his son, not just anyone. Not just an acquaintance, not just a guardian, not just a voice. He said, I'm sending someone who's uh, very near and dear to me. Someone who said close proximity. We see Jesus Himself taught us how to relate to God as Father. That's how Jesus taught us to relate to God. He said, I only see what my, uh, I only do what I see my Father doing. He goes on to say, this is how you should pray. Our guardian who art in heaven. No, it's our Father, and I want you to take this away as a thought because this is a game changer. The Christian name for God, and this is a beautiful thing on Father's Day, is Dad. The Christian name for God is Dad. You see, how we perceive God ultimately determines how we receive God. And if we don't see God correctly, then ultimately we're not gonna see ourselves correctly. And what I know, that what Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago is as true today. This world needs fathers. And as a result, Paul goes on to say, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What was he doing? He became a father. And he wanted people everywhere to imitate what he was doing in becoming a father. And fathers lead by example. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. And so the question this morning is, what kind of example are we being? The challenge for me is, what kind of example am I being? Why? Because what walks in the fathers runs in the children. You know, parents that treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. Just a thought. James Dobson goes on to say this, good fathers are made, not born. And he suggests to be a good father you need to have that modelled. We need an example of what a good father is so that we can pattern our lives after them. And I realise in this room, we haven't all had the luxury of a great father figure. And if that is you, I want you to sit back, relax, because I want you to know that you're in a good place this morning. Because here at Life Adelaide, we realise that people come with their baggage. People come with their brokenness, particularly when it comes to the area of fatherhood. Many of you in this room would have grown up with an absent father. Some would have grown up with an abusive father. Some would have grown up with a soft father. Some would have grown up with a friendly father. He was the mate. He didn't really discipline. He didn't really speak in life. He was just the mate. And then there are others who grew up with an incredible example, an amazing model. And I wanna just say that I'm one of those very privileged people that grew up with an incredible model of what it is to be a great father. And I just wanna take a moment just to honour my dad because I love him dearly. He's 87 years of age and he's been an incredible model to me of what it is to be a man and what it is to be a father. And Keith, Dad, Tata, they're all the names he goes by. We love you and we honour you. Can we put our hands together for my dad?
also want to take a moment just to honour my father-in-law because without my father-in-law, I wouldn't have ever been able to marry the most beautiful woman on the world. So Jeff, I know you're here somewhere. Love you. And it's great to have you with us this morning. Can we put your hands together for my father-in-law, Jeff? Produce great kids, Jeff. You really do. Uh, and I got the privilege of marrying the best one, which is just awesome. Just, just no offence, Nat. But anyway, uh, it just is what it is. Um, and so um, with that, I want to say this categorically. And this includes even the great fathers. There's no such thing as a perfect human father. There's no such thing. But the good news is we do have a perfect heavenly father. And if we're open, we all have access to him. Now, I am far from perfect. But because of the great model I've had, I think it gave me a head start. And I know I've certainly worked hard at becoming the best dad I can possibly be. And so today, I've got my one and only son, Mitch, the middle child. Any middle kids out there? God bless you, feeling your pain. It's awesome. Being overlooked and neglected all your life, it's hard, it's tough, but someone's got to do it. Um, and I've got Mitch with me today just to um, talk about what it was like growing up in our home and the effect it had on his life. And so welcome, Mitch. Looking forward to uh, dialoguing with you today. But uh, just, just to kick us off, uh, I've already mentioned that I, I'm not a perfect father. Uh, I would dare say I'm far from a perfect father. And so maybe just let's open up with this thought. How did you manage my humanity? How did you manage my best efforts falling short more often than not? Yeah, it's a great question. I, um, I think it's a question that is answered just by the fact that you had asked that question. And I think what was important to me is that you would always acknowledge your humanity. You know, um, you would acknowledge that you're not perfect, that you make mistakes. And I think in my life, one thing I'm grateful for not, is not that I had a perfect dad, but it's that I had a dad that showed how to be wrong well. I, I'm just so grateful I had a dad that showed how to be wrong right, in a sense. You know, because um, I don't think kids these days have a problem with dad messing up. I think the problem comes when dad refuses to own up. Um, and I'm just so glad that... Um, as imperfect as you may have been plenty of times, I, I'm just so grateful that... <laughs> um, it's getting there. It's, the compliment is coming, don't worry. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad that you weren't perfect, but you were real and you were honest. Um, if anyone's been a part of this church for longer than probably 45 seconds, you may have heard a story we refer to as the Bondi, the Bondi story. Um, and if you don't know, just really quick, one time we went to Bondi for a, a family holiday. Um, us kids were quite young and we went to Sydney, sorry. And the first thing we did when we got there is we went to Bondi Beach and um, dad would tell it. He would say, um, the kids decided to play in the sand. How dare we play in the sand as seven-year-olds at the beach? Uh, and made too much of a mess, uh, kicked up too, uh, one too many grains of sand. And um, the story goes that dad lost his cool a little bit. And he said, that's it, we're out of here. He packed up the car, dragged us home. And um, it was, yeah, probably the shortest trip anyone's ever made out to Bondi Beach in their life. But um, as many times as you may have heard that story before, um, just speaking from someone that was there, uh, the, no, what I remember about that story is it's, it's, it's less about the... Um, you know, the trauma of the moment or anything. But actually, <laughs> what I remember is actually 
when dad later that night made his way into um, our room in the hotel and he sat on the bed and he just said, kids, I'm sorry. Like I messed up. That's on me. I lost my, I lost my patience. And he would, you know, look us in the eyes and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Um, and I think that's the most powerful thing. The bar is not that fathers must be perfect. The, the bar is that fathers just have to be real. And they have to own when they make mistakes. Kids have a problem with fathers shifting the blame, you know, blaming mum or blaming work or, or blaming us as kids. And I'm just so grateful that although you weren't perfect, you modelled what it means to be wrong right. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's good. 75% of kids leave church from the ages of 18 to 29, um, and yet here you are, you're still going to church, you're serving in church, you're employed at the church, even here you were singing at a church, you, you do a lot. Um, talk to us about that, you're staying and not becoming one of the 75%. Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of answers to that question. Um, but for me, I think it was really important that uh, the church, or in, in this case, ministry, you being employed by the church, it never felt like uh, church was the favourite child. You know, church never felt like something that I had to fight against for my dad's attention. It never felt like church got your best um, at the expense of me and the family getting your worst. And I think you just left a really good, you know, taste in our mouths of what it means to be a part of a church, what it means to be going to church, serving at church, employed by church, but actually still loving your family, still being present. It wasn't, I think a lot of the reason, going back to what I said before, you know, maybe some kids leave church is because of the hypocrisy they see. They see it on stage as one thing, or they see how their parents act in the foyer on a Sunday, and it doesn't line up with how they act at home. And I think, for me, I'm on a journey as you said before, I've employed at church, I work for church, and I've recognised a personal call to ministry and I'm discovering what that means for me. But I think it's been made easier, it's been made easier to say yes to this call that I feel because I've had a great model of how well you can do ministry. Yeah? That's good, I like that. Um, obviously, when it comes to uh, raising children, uh, when they get to a certain age, particularly that 18 plus, they are adults and they do have the opportunity to make their own decisions. And I know some of our best efforts just seemingly go unrewarded. And so again, while I appreciate your answer, um, again, I, I wouldn't want anyone to feel condemned because certain things haven't gone well for you. But uh, again, we, we're here to try to um, learn from and uh, just do life well. So I appreciate what you're sharing there, Mitch. Awesome. Um, the Bible says, train a child in the way that they should go. Um, as your dad, uh, I know, particularly in those early years, I, I made you come to church. Um, we, we, we helped you to understand the importance of prayer and Bible reading and all those things. Um, was that as a young kid helpful? And if so, how? Yeah, totally. I think growing up, um, for anyone that's grown up in church and um, spent enough time at youth ministry or, or Sunday school, I think one thing that you hear a lot is um, a youth leader or a youth pastor will say to you, you know, it's not enough to have a secondhand faith from your parents. You know, your parents' faith isn't enough to sustain you. Um, and I 100% I believe that and I agree with that. But I think it's a parent's secondhand faith and what a parent installs in you before you even understand the importance or power of it is actually a really important thing. 
because I found that secondhand faith, while not enough to sustain me, it was actually what I needed before I knew how to have a faith of my own. Um, For example, I guess when you learn to drive a car, I could sit in the passenger seat with you and you could tell me all the things. This is how you drive a car, you know, this is what you need to do, these are the rules. Um, But it's not till I find myself behind the wheel that it gets real and it gets practical. But at the same time, when I do find myself in that position, I'm glad that I've learnt or I know the things that my dad has taught me because I can put them into practice. Because we all have times and moments in our lives where the rubber hits the road. We have moments in our lives where things need to get, your faith needs to get personal really quick. Um, I know one of the biggest moments of that for for me was um, in 2016 when we lost uh, Chris, our youth pastor, in, um, in a freak accident at summer camp. I remember thinking, man, this is a time where the things that, all the notes in my phone and all the things that I've heard from stage, this needs to be more than that. It needs to be real to me right now. But I'm actually so glad that I had that. I'm so glad that I guess I had a dad that made me read my Bible. He made me pray, made me go to church because I knew how to do those things. So in that moment where it got real, I said, okay, this is what I know, but now it needs to become something that I understand, that I believe. Uh, But I'm glad that I had that foundation to begin with in the first place because I don't know if I would have got there as quick by myself. Fantastic. That's a great point. I love that. Hey, can I just say to all the parents out there, uh, listen up, because I know we live in a, a, a politically correct environment where, you know, there's a lot of do's and don'ts uh, now, but don't lose your courage in raising your children to the best of your knowledge of how to do that. Because as Mitch said, when the time comes and they need to stand on their own two feet, they need something to draw from. And if they don't draw from what you've taught them, they'll draw from other people and other voices. And so again, I just want to put courage in each of you parents, particularly the the dads out there, to don't feel bad about instilling good godly values, even if it doesn't line up with some of the environments that uh, your kids find themselves in. Amen? Sound good? Thanks for it. I really appreciate that one. Um, Spiritual disciplines aside... What are some of the healthy environment traits that you grew up in? Yeah, I think two of the biggest ones is that I grew up feeling accepted. You know, I felt loved. I knew that I was loved. It was never something I had to question. Um, I think of in Scripture when Jesus goes to get baptised and um, you hear God's voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. What's so awesome about that to me is that's, God letting his son know that he was loved and accepted before he'd ever performed a miracle, before he had died on the cross to save humanity. That was just the father's love for a son, showing that you are, you are accepted and I love you, not based on performance, but just based on who you are. Um, and I guess I would like to encourage all the dads here, don't, kids shouldn't have to guess, you know, if they are accepted or not. I think it's really important for me. I didn't even understand it at the time, but I can look back at my development now and go, wow, I knew that I was loved and I was accepted. You know, there were so many times where you would come out in the freezing cold winter to watch me play under six soccer and 40 minutes later, the game was a 0-0 draw. (laughs) And I'd come off the sideline and it would always be like, Mitch, you're awesome. Like, I love you. And I tell you what, that's definitely not based off performance. <laughs> it's just, just watching, watching 20 kids chase a ball around in an oval for 40 minutes and no one even score. Like, that's how I know that 
I'm accepted, not based off what I've done, but just based off who I am. And the other thing would be not only was I accepted, I'm so glad that I grew up protected. Um, I'm so grateful that uh, my dad was around. Um, I was so grateful that it almost felt like I couldn't fail. It felt like I was invincible because as long as dad's here, I don't have anything really to worry about. Um, but also beyond the, beyond the physical protection, I'm really glad that I was protected, me and the girls were protected emotionally um, and just mentally. There's a lot, I think, to your point before about a lot of kids leaving church, I think the reason they do is because they hear too much. They hear more than, they hear things that aren't helpful for them to hear. Um, and I'm just so glad that you were able to, you know, keep work at work. You were able to keep, you know, grown-up conversations. Um, they didn't happen over the dinner table, you know. They didn't happen when kids were around. Um, and I'm so glad that we were raised as critical thinkers, but we were still protected. I would describe our childhood as we were naive to things, but we weren't stupid kids for the most part. I've done plenty of stupid stuff, but I'm not a, I, I know that I grew up not stupid, but I was naive in a really healthy way. And I think that's always been one of the biggest protections that you've offered me. Um, and whenever you know, kids would, or people would know things. I was always, I can look back and I was glad that I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes because I didn't need to know it at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I, was, I was thinking about the point of being accepted, you know. Um, I remember as, as a child growing up and my dad just looking at me in the eyes. I mean, there wouldn't be, have been a day gone by where he didn't tell me how proud he was of me. And uh, I'd give him some drawings. I've always fancied myself as a bit of an artist, but that doesn't mean I was always a good artist. It just meant I fancied myself as one. And so I'd do these drawings that I just thought were in a bit. And, and honestly, if you could see them today, they were just pretty much probably like the scribbles that your kids give you. And my dad go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Look at the way you've used that, bled, uh, the, used that blue into the red. And you just have something... Uh, forensic and uh, exciting and encouraging to say about something that didn't really look good. And it's only as I look back now, I realise it had nothing to do with my performance and just everything to do with him accepting me for who I am. And uh, I I'm just forever grateful uh, for that. So that's awesome. Um, another question. Um, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. From your perspective as a child growing up in our home, uh, What's the purpose of discipline from your perspective and how did it look for you? My perspective as a child growing up in our home, if that's what you're asking, was that mum and dad hate me and they don't want me to have any fun. I don't know why they're disciplining me. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit up here and act like I was the wisest three-year-old in the world. But I think looking back at it now, um, still not that much wiser, but I think I've learned a thing or two. Um, I just love that in our household, the purpose of discipline was always to restore relationship. It wasn't just about punishment. Um, in our house, I can look back and see now that just putting someone in time out would have been a waste of time because time out isolates you from the people that you have hurt or from the relationships that you've put strain on. Um, and I guess the question behind discipline should always be, how do I restore a relationship? Discipline should serve a purpose and not just serve to punish someone or to, um, you know, isolate them even further. Um, and I guess for us in our house, that always looked like speaking the truth in love. When we were disciplined, it was always, it was from a place of love and not frustration. Um, and once again, back to the first point, our non-perfect parents, 
if it ever did come from frustration or anger, it was always quick to reconcile that and ask for forgiveness um, for yourself as well. I just love how that was modelled to us. Um, and also just, it looks like owning your mistakes as well. You need to apologise. You would always get, it would usually be Jordan and I would get into physical fights sometimes when things didn't, things didn't work out, we didn't see eye to eye. But I love that you would get us in the same room and you would make us look at each other and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Always asking for forgiveness. Um, and then just the discipline being appropriate and being relevant, like I said before. Um, yeah, for example, if I ever dishonoured mum in any way, whether I didn't do my chores or I spoke out of line, um, it was always, here's, here's 20 bucks, Mitch, I want you to go with mum to the village and take her on a coffee date. You know, it's always about restoring the relationship that's been you know, strained in that moment. Um, and I'm just, I'm so grateful that I can look back at that now and see actually discipline wasn't an angry father, you know, trying to hurt me as his son, but it was actually a loving father who was able to say, hey, the purpose of this is to restore the relationships that you have. So, yeah. Fantastic. Is this, is this helpful? Fantastic. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate that. Um, we're all but out of time. But let me just ask you one other question. And, 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 uh, and maybe make it a freebie. Um, what's one thing that you would like to leave with us um, as parents, as a, from a son's perspective to the, the mums and dads out there and, and uh, soon-to-be dads like Dan and others? Um, any, any advice, any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's... I just would want to encourage all the dads in here that you aren't alone and you don't have to try and do this journey alone. Um, I think it's really important for um, young people to have father figures in their lives as well as their fathers. Um, I, for me, I've spent the last almost three years in a different country and we've been able to keep in touch because of technology and FaceTime and all those great things. But I've been able to um, find a father figure in a great family friend of ours uh, by the name of Pastor Scott Thornton. I think he was here a couple of weeks ago. Um, and just for all the dads here, just know that it's not something you have to do alone, you know? You actually, when you, when you bring your kids to places like this, to church, or you make them go to youth ministry when they don't feel like it, what they're actually doing is they have an incredible access to their youth leaders, to their youth pastors, and to father figures, um, father figures and role models in their lives that aren't just you. Um, and it is quite funny, I found in my experience in the last three years when I've been in Scott's office talking to him about things. He'll give me the most incredible advice. And I'll go, wow, that like changes everything. And then once I get back home and I sit on it and I think about it, I'm like, actually, this is, <laughs> this is maybe stuff I've heard before from my dad. <laughs> but I, I think to fathers, it's like, it's play to your strengths because there are things that maybe <laughs> your kids won't hear from you that they will be able to hear from other people. Um, and that should be an encouragement, you know, to, to know that, hey, I just need to get my kids in the right place around the right people um, because I don't have to do this by myself and, or, you know, I don't have to do this alone. This is a great place to do that, by the way. Um, I was at Epic Youth Adelaide on, on Friday and it was just so cool to see um, from, from the top, you know, with Dan and Ashari, the leadership and the, the father and mother figure that they are, but also just to watch all the Connect Group leaders there. I loved how they all had a sense of ownership over this youth ministry. It wasn't just two people at the top leading. It was two people supported by an incredible 
team of young adults that are like, I'm here not to hang out with my friends, but I'm here to be a voice into young people's lives who need it. So if you have, if you have young kids or teenagers, like this is an incredible house to get them in because there's so many, they're gonna find father figures, they're gonna find mother figures, they're gonna find good godly friends um, so that they don't have to do this alone and you don't have to try and do this alone. Fantastic. Has that been helpful this morning? Could we put our hands together for Mitch? Thanks, mate. Love you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life, and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.